God has given us a beautiful fall weekend. Can I get an amen on that? We're go, so glad everybody's here. Thank you for being with us today. Welcome all you regulars. That's just not a great uh, adjective. For, for You're much more than just regulars. But I'm glad you're here worshiping today. But I want there's also these new faces today. There's a special event that's going to kind of happen at the end of this service. So those new faces that are with us today, welcome. Welcome to Westview Community Church. I hope everybody feels like you're part of the body of Christ no matter where you are. Amen? But to our guests, my name is Brian. I'm our lead pastor. And hey, there's this worship guide. I forgot to mention this first service. But for our guests, whether you're here just hanging out for this special event coming up or whether you're here looking for a church home, there's this connect card, which is really important to us. If you would take some time and just drop an email address or a name on there, well, preferably both so we can put the two together, uh, you can drop it in a box when you leave or go out to our welcome center. But we would love to reach out to you on Monday morning or earlier and just say, hey, can we help you on your journey, especially if you're looking for a church home? I also want to welcome all of you who are online with us. We have people usually around the globe, which is kind of fun. Uh, we're glad you're with us too today. Um, but special, uh, on the back of this worship guide when you walked in, there are these sermon notes here. We're going to go and, and go into God's Word together. We're going to be talking about worship today. This is an outline of that, of the framework of that. So, so feel free to, to jot in there. But kids, we have kids here. You have your own special sermon note page. So kids, this sermon note page just looks just like the adult one, except you get more fun. You get all these emojis off to the side, so when you see up there, when you see the, worship, the sermon note pop up there, you can fill in the word, and then you're to attach it to the actual emoji that matches to it. If you need help, um, ask the parents. If your parents are using this one instead of the adult one, take it back from them gracefully. Uh, but we, this, the kids are part of our worship today, and it's just so much fun. So you get your own special sermon notes. I'd rather do yours than the adult ones, too, because they're kind of fun. Let's see, did I catch everything there? I got one thing that's kind of big I want to bring up on our worship guide before we jump into the sermon is, it's not actually, I don't think, on here, but November 13th, I brought this up last week, November 13th, we only have one service. It will be at 10 a.m., not a regular time. So we have one, that's kind of how we're summarizing worship, is that we're coming together as one body, and we're going to worship together. We're going to break bread and kind of have communion kind of the old ancient way as they did around a meal, and then we're having a chili feed. They didn't have chili feeds, I don't think, in the New Testament, but but um, we're going to have a chili feed after that. But there's only one service on November 13th. Write that down, 10 a.m. If you show up at 9, you're just early. If you show up at 10.30, you'll probably make communion and miss everything else. But we'd love to have everybody here at that time. Make sure you share that with whoever else. Okay, good. So we are in a sermon series called A Call to Worship. And let me summarize last week just a little bit. We asked this question, well, what is worship? I think there's just so many different conceptions of what worship is. So we gave you this definition last week. Worship is our continuous, that's kind of a big word, an important word, our continuous response to God for who he is, for what he's done, what he's doing right now, and what he's going to do in the future. That's, that's my definition I kind of threw out there. That is what worship is. It's our continuous response. That means worship is all the time. So we threw out, let me give you a couple notes we hit last week. We said everybody worships. Everybody worships something or someone, and everything is worship. And we put that in the backdrop of the great commandment to, to, to love God with your whole heart, soul, and mind. That's worship. And so we said that's our goal in our lifetime as we grow is we want to worship God the Father with our whole heart, soul, mind, with everything. So we threw out a challenge to you last week. 
If you're not worshiping him with your whole heart, soul, and mind, then the question is, what are we worshiping? And we ask you to be challenged by the Holy Spirit to say, okay, I should be growing every day to worship him more and more fully. And so what is grabbing my time, my heart, and what's pulling me away? And we also gave you this challenge. Worship is about giving, not getting. This is an issue I think a lot in the Christian church today is we come to get. Don't come to get, come to give. We are here together for God, amen? And so I said, come next Sunday or during the week, but be ready to give. He, trust him with a getting. Oh, do we get? You're gonna see by the end of today, do we get? But that's not why we're here. We're here to worship him. We're coming here to give. So always when we worship, give. Be in that posture. I hope you're there today. So we talked about how do we worship uh, or what is worship last week? Sorry. This week we're going to be talking about how do we worship God then? What's the vertical look like for us? Um, and we're going to jump into that. So in your Bible, if you would, I want you to mark off a couple places. The Gospel of John, chapter 4, we're going to be there. I have two of these thingies in mind, so I can mark multiple places. Uh, mark uh, John, chapter 4, and then also mark the book of Hebrews, which is really close to the Gospel of John. Um, Mark chapters 6 and 7 and 4 We're going to be in that neighborhood So if you want to do a quick reference to there But I think also important is that we start in prayer And let's talk to the Holy Spirit for just a minute Because we super, super, super need Him Would you bow your heads with me? Holy Spirit, we need you now um, When we look at your word The only way it lights up The only way it, it, it moves in technicolor to us Is through your work on our heart And so Holy Spirit, I ask that our minds in our hearts kind of dump what the morning was like, what it was like getting here, what we're thinking about maybe this afternoon. Ah, get us all here. Get us all here in this moment as we come to worship you. And Holy Spirit, take our hearts and minds and mold them to what we're gonna see in the word and how we can love you more and more and more. And so help us see that. So we're giving you a moldable heart and mind today. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So let's ask that question. Um, how do we worship God? And I'm going to tell you where it starts. Our worship of God starts with Jesus. Now you're saying, okay, Brian, pat answer, right? Like we always go to Jesus' answer. No, this one's kind of really important. Our worship of God starts with Jesus, for only he can bring us into right and full worship with God. Now that could be a pat answer if I don't explain it. So here's your first sermon note. Kids, get ready. Pull out your sermon note page. First sermon note, every time we gather, Jesus is present. Every time we gather, Jesus is present. So if our worship of God starts with Jesus, it's important we know he's present. So kids feel in present there, and then go connect that line to the emoji. I won't tell you which one, but you can ask your parents to help if you want. Constance Cherry, a theologian in the worship arts, said this. She said, Jesus Christ is fully present to us. He's greeting us. Do you know he greeted you as you came in here today? He's speaking and listening to us, and he's facilitating our prayers and praise to the Father. In the Bible, it shares in, in the Gospel of John chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm with the Father, and you are with me, and I am with you. He also said in Matthew 28, in the great uh, commission, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And Jesus also said in Matthew 18, when two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there also. And in Colossians 1, the whole chapter is about him. Jesus is the invisible image of God. He's the head of the church. He's first in everything. And God chose him to be first in our worship. And so it's important to say in worship, 
The presence of Jesus should be our priority. It should be our priority. We start with him. Why? It's a great question. Not only is the presence of Jesus here right now, he's also at work. And so let's start to explain that. So let's jump into Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 18. And it'll be up here overhead too. Uh, this is a New Living Translation that I'm working out of. It says, Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. And Jesus has already gone in there for us. And he has become our eternal high priest. Okay, look at this and say, okay, there's a lot here. But I want to really focus on the eternal high priest and that part about the curtain. So let me kind of explain a real quick run through Old Testament for those this might be newer to. In the Old Testament, God rescued the hero Hebrew people out of Egypt and brought them through the desert to Israel as his chosen people and created Israel as a way to show himself to the world through these people. And so when God was moving with the Hebrew people before they were Israel, when moving through the desert with them, he was present, his presence, God's presence was with them in the tabernacle. A lot of rules and his holiness about how you could even approach that tabernacle, but most people couldn't. But God's presence was always there. And then eventually as we see the Israelite nation form and we see Jerusalem become the center, they build the first temple and God's presence, he gives them how to build the temple, his presence moves into the temple. And in that temple, there is a curtain. And ladies and gentlemen, it was thick and it was way tall. And it separated sinful humanity from the holy God. And only one person could go inside that holy of holies once a year. And it was the high priest. The reason for that separation is because God's holy and humanity is sinful. But God still made a way for that being accessed so the intercession, uh, what God designed when you look way back in the Old Testament is he designed priests as people to intercede for God with people. So priests would, would, would reveal to people what God wanted to reveal. Priests would bless people in a way. And then priests would, priests would take the sacrifice of the people, the atonement for their sin, and he would present that to God. And they had to do it very perfectly or else it came at risk of life to them. But priests were intercessors between God and man. And Jesus comes and changes all that. For Jesus goes to the cross and dies on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin which separates us from God. And when Jesus did that, the moment he died on the cross, that temple curtain tore, not from the bottom to the top, it tore from the top to the bottom. Signifying that man was no longer separated from God's presence because of what Jesus did. This is huge to know this. And then in the New Testament, we reveal here that now Jesus is our high priest. He is our intercessor. So when Jesus did that, there's no more need for priests. There's no more need for temples. The temple came crumbling down in 70 AD and has never been rebuilt. All part of God's plan. So let's jump to Hebrews 7. Let's explain this a little bit more about the high priest and Jesus. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever 
to intercede with God on their behalf. So what we know is when Jesus died on the cross and paid that penalty that separated us from God, temple curtain tore, Jesus rose from the grave, resurrected, to show us not only that he lives again and lives forever, but this is what we're so excited about as Christians. We, when we die, those who believe, will rise too and live forever. Now this is important because when we look at this, what we know is by Jesus coming to life and living forever, that means he's our high priest forever. And today he intercedes for you and I all the time. He's our constant mediator between us and God. And so what's interesting is when you look at this, Jesus' presence is there. Jesus is at the right hand of the God, right hand of God at, at the throne in heaven, and he's here, both. Don't ask me to explain that. I happily and joyfully just accept it <laughs> because he's God and he's Christ and I'm not. But I think it's all important to know about his role as now our high priest before we go to the second sermon note. Kids, you ready? The second sermon note, adults too. Jesus is our worship leader. Now when I throw that out there, that sometimes we go to think about worship leaders, we think automatically about our human worship leaders. And don't we have amazing human worship leaders here that do, they work really hard. Would you just thank them for a moment and give them a round of applause? <laughs> they have an incredibly challenging role, and they do it so well. But sometimes we think worship leader is someone who leads us in singing. And when I say Jesus is our worship leader, I want to go back to last week and say, we've already shown that worship is everything that we do. And so let me just drill down on Sundays. Sunday is a multiple movement. When we come together as corporate, one voice, one body together to worship on the Lord's day, it's a beautiful thing. And when we come here, there's these multiple movements you see every Sunday. You see prayer. We have a movement in prayer. And we have a movement in sung prayer. That's when we worship in song. Now, sometimes people will say, Brian, there's not enough prayer in our service. When we sing, that's prayer. And when we speak God's word in prayer, that's prayer. So really, it's more than half of our service easily every Sunday. So think of that when you're singing. You're actually singing sung prayer to him. But our Sunday services, we, we, have, we have a worship. We worship in prayer. We worship in sung prayer and music. We worship when we go to God's word. We worship as we approach it and let the Holy Spirit change our hearts. This is a moment of worship. This isn't a sermon, something separate. This is worship together as we examine the word and let him change us. And then normally we follow this up with offering. That's our response. After we've worshiped Jesus, after we worship God, we come back, we hear his word, we let it change us, and then we, we have the response to where we call it offering, to where we say, okay, this is now my response to you for all you've done for me. This is what I do. And the last movement we have in church is we send you. We send you out into the world to really be church. Church is really Monday through Saturday, not Sunday for an hour. And since Jesus is our high priest and he intercedes in all this, he's our worship leader. He mediates all of our prayer to God. He mediates our singing. He mediates how we listen to God's word. He mediates our offering and he mediates how he sends us. When we sent, we send out of here with our hair on fire because of our worship leader, Jesus. But not only is he our worship leader in everything, this next sermon note, your third sermon note, Jesus transforms our worship. 
And this is important to understand. When we're offering up worship to him as a high priest, as our intercessor with God, he takes our best worship that we have on Sunday and sometimes our distracted worship, amen? Or sometimes our half-hearted worship. And he makes it perfect like he makes everything from us to God. He takes our sinful lives and makes them righteous and perfect in front of God. Why would he not do this with our worship? When the priests existed in the Old Testament, they did things perfectly because this is holy God. And they wouldn't let just man come up and do that because we wouldn't get it right. Jesus is that perfect intercessor who's never sinned. And he takes our worship and he makes it beautiful and perfect to God every time. But it's so interesting that not only does Jesus change our worship or, 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 or transform our worship to God, in that, he transforms us. <laughs> our worship changes us. I'm gonna share a thought with you that you may consider a challenge. But I'm gonna say that worship is the chief means in which you and I are transformed. Because worship is our response to the word, to prayer, it's our interaction with him. Our worship is a response from our heart. And it is the chief means of how we express, especially how we are changed. Worship is a major transformer of our, of our hearts and our souls. And when we're transformed, when we let Jesus transform not only worship but us, we receive his passion. This is how you know you've worshiped, is your obedience and your passion for not only the Father, but for the world and making a difference and going out in the mission and the great commandment of the church. That's how we know we've worshiped. So let's go to the Gospel of John chapter four. I think it's really important we set this stage because now I'm gonna take you to a story in the Gospel of John. We actually showed this video about a year ago. I don't know if it was that long ago. Um, instead of reading the word out of the Gospel of John chapter four, starting in verse 21, we're actually gonna watch it. And this is a famous story of Jesus who meets the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. And so setting this up just a little bit is that Jesus goes out of his way, cuts through Samaria. They hate Jewish people. There's a huge hatred there. And he goes in the middle of the day when it's hot. Karen and I were in this area in June. It is hot in the middle of the day. <laughs> he goes in the middle of the day when people don't come to draw water because Jesus has an encounter with a woman. And most people know this story, they've read this. It's one of the more popular stories of the Bible because Jesus meets her in her sin. She's been with five husbands, now she's with a guy who's not her husband. And she has an encounter with Christ that changes her. But ladies and gentlemen, there's a second half to the story. It's about worship. So let's watch the scripture together. Would you give me a drink? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat. So you have so kindly reminded me. I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. 
Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And the time is coming and is now here that it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. <laughs> but he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. You feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. Once you know these things, because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, 
just the heart. You promise? I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> second half of the story is so important where he's, Jesus is telling her about worship. Jesus shares with her how, her, how worship is going to change. And that change begins the moment he dies on the cross and three days later when he resurrects. And it sets the pattern of how we are to worship today. It's our fourth sermon note. Kids, there's two words on this one. Our worship is in spirit and truth. Verse 23, just the, the one verse out of that whole story where Jesus said, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. So when we talk about how do I worship God, well, we start with through Jesus. And the second part of that is we do it in spirit and truth. So what is spirit and truth? We'll start with the word spirit first. The word spirit is a small s, so it's not talking about the Holy Spirit in essence there, it's talking about the spirit that's within us. Best way I could describe that word is putting the other word that Jesus uses in that video, and that is heart. We worship through our heart, we worship from our heart with passion, our spirit, the same passion he has. Can I give you a quote from Charles Spurgeon, a, a classic pastor and sermon writer he says God does not hear our voices he hears our hearts I think this is so important God doesn't hear our words as much as he hears our hearts and this is where we worship from is our heart and spirit worship is not about an experience all right worship is I'm not coming here to get an experience worship is about God through Christ now, if I have experience, is that great? Absolutely, that passion, that's huge. That's not why. Don't worship our worship. C.S. Lewis said, uh, the perfect church service would be the one we were almost unaware of. Our attention would have been on God. But it also is a spirit with a big S. For those who believe in Christ are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us when we worship, and that's huge. That's huge about how we worship is to have the very presence of God in us. So that's spirit. Let's talk about truth. Truth, this means worship is about what we know about God through Jesus. Truth comes from God's word. This is how we worship in truth, is how we know him. Not only through his word, but also through the revelation in Jesus. Jesus says, when you see me, you've seen the Father. And so those two ways we know how to worship in truth. And we worship God for who he is as described in the word. The word reveals him. Jesus reveals him. And we have to be cautious not to make God something of our design, something outside of what we know in truth. And begin to worship an image of God that we create. This book tells us the image of God. And so spirit and truth, the two other words that you can counter those with is heart and mind. That's how we worship, heart and mind. Our mind gathers the truth. It speaks to the heart and everything flows, as the Bible says, from our heart.
That's the kind of worshiper God and Jesus are looking for. And from our heart flows how we worship all day long. And God and Jesus are listening to our hearts and the Holy Spirit is guiding us all along the way. And so that might just freak you out. Like, who am I supposed to worship then? I, let me just deal with this question. You just said, I'm gonna worship God, but then you said, let's worship Jesus. And then you just said, hold on a second, worship the Holy Spirit. So which one's right? My answer is yes. <laughs> You're never wrong in all three. God is one in three. And so we worship in all three. But Jesus is our priority for he is our mediator. And God put him first as it says in Colossians 1. So let's go to Hebrews 4. Let's start to wrap this up. So then, Hebrews 4, 4 verse 14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, so he faced, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Look at this next verse. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Because we have the presence of Jesus here right now and the presence of Jesus at the throne of God at his right hand, let us be firm in our belief. Jesus knows us. He understands us. He lived the life that we've lived. He had the same temptations yet he did not sin, but he knows and understands us. And he knows our worship. And he's our mediator. And he connects our heart and mind to God's. He brings us into the throne room. Anybody, this is really important, anybody in this room can approach the throne of God through Christ. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. What matters is what you believe. And trust him to clean up the other. There's not one person in this room that cannot approach the throne of God through Christ. So walk out of here with that confidence no matter where you're at today. And if you don't know Christ and don't know about approaching the throne, then hang out with us right afterwards and let's get those steps going. Let's talk about who he is and why he's such an important mediator in our life.